0: I you do an Indian accent. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but um, today we are um, moving forward into a series called a Spirit-Filled Life. Okay, we need power, right? Power comes from God. Uh, and was this great message this morning uh, from the Spirit of the Lord through Judy that the battle belongs to the Lord. And I was just checking that out real quick when she was talking about it, and uh, just reading that story, and uh, just want to confirm. You know, it says here, Jehoshaphat's calling out at the end of this prayer. He says, for we have no power to, to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Have you ever felt like that? I have no power. I have no idea what to do. I, I, can't, even, I can't even figure out what, you know, how I can even keep going or take on this, this, this challenge or this task. And Jehoshaphat had that prayer. And then the Lord answered him, And he said, for the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. You just show up, show up, and watch what I'm going to do for you. Isn't that a good news right there, message for us today? And so um, as we talk about living a spirit-filled life, that's what we're talking about, is being available to let God do the work through us. Not us becoming superhuman beings, but us becoming empty vessels and relying and trusting on the power of God, the presence of God, in our lives, for everything that we need for life and for godliness, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of fired up here and I'm going to talk really fast because I've got a lot of things I want to share. So you ready? So just kind of speed up your uh, listening ear rate. It's around the same frequency so I can get more in, okay? All right, but let, let's pray first. What I'm about to share with you today, I feel that there's a, there, there's a very, very strong demonic resistance to uh, the truth that I'm going to share with you today. So I want to ask your help to break the strongholds of any thinking that is contrary to God's truth or God's ways that any of us have been exposed to, because uh, the the, the devil does not want you to be filled with the the power and the presence of God. And so, uh, at least personally, I've been experiencing a heightened heightened amount of spiritual attacks and uh, just from different directions. And I know that God is moving our church in this direction, and so we are in a spiritual battle too. A spiritual battle to lay hold of the truth that sets us free, right? Truth sets us free, okay? Not doctrine or not denominational things. It's the truth, the truth that comes from the Spirit of God. So join me in prayer, okay? God, right now, we are your people, and we desire you, and we desire truth, and we want the whole counsel of God. Lord, what is of your spirit and what is true, we, we agree with today and we embrace. And anything that is not of you, that's not true, that's not from your spirit, that's just opinions or things that we've heard or th- ideas that we've had or that we've been taught that are not of you, we pray in Jesus' name will be broken today exposed as uh, untruths, and that we can let go of those things, we can snap those thoughts off of our lives, and the effects that they have had on our relationship with you, and our opinion, or, or our view of who we are in you, and what you want to do in us and through us. So we pray that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth right now, will lead and guide every one of us in these moments together into your truth that sets us free, in Jesus' name. Can I get an Amen. 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 So, uh, we all have different backgrounds. Some of us are from different church denominations and different backgrounds that we've grown up with. We all have different families. We have different opinions. We have a bunch of junk in the trunk, right? And so, God wants us to get things lined up with His truth. And so, uh, we're doing this series, and I think it's very important that uh, wherever you come from, that you find truth in God's Word, and, and the Spirit, the Spirit of God, will witness that to your Spirit, you will have a witness to what's truth. What's not truth, you'll have this little, uh eh, like that. And you've had that before. And when you have a, eh, you know, that's not, there's something, there's twinging inside of you. That's, that's, that's something that's the Spirit of God is saying, no, 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 no. Right? It's discerning of spirits, okay? We want truth. So I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And here's my statement. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Okay, that's the message today. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. I'll even say it this way to be a little bit more confrontational. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Okay, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what is true, and uh, it's not necessarily preached that way in all the churches around around the nation or around the world. But a spirit-filled life is not for radical Christians only. It's not for super-qualified, spiritually deep Christians, whatever that is. It's not just for elders or pastors only, all right? It's not for those in the past only. It's not just for those who are in the past who were apostles only. It's not for those who have been in the church for a long time only, okay? A spirit-filled life is for every believer, young, old, male, female, whether you just started coming and and accepted Christ or you've known him for, for a long time, the spirit the Spirit-filled life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every believer today, which means you. That means you. It's for you. God is for you. He wants to bless you with everything that you need for doing what he's called you to do. Okay? Acts 2.39. So last week we looked at Acts 2.38, which Peter was preaching, and he had a huge crowd. We know it's a huge crowd because at the end of his anointed, you know, message sermon, 3,000 people believed. I don't know if there's others there that didn't believe, but we know there's at least 3,000 people there, because 3,000 people believed in his message, and they said, what do we do, Peter? What do we do? And he said this in Acts 2.38, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so, Acts 2.39, the very next verse, says this. And this is our memory verse for the week. It says, the promise, and he's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus taught the disciples were going to happen. And he taught them to stay in Jerusalem until it did. And that was the evidence of the crowd gathering around to hear what in the world was going on. Peter is saying, repent, be baptized, and what you see now, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit will be for you too. You'll be filled with him. And this is what Acts 2.39 says. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I believe he's talking about me and you. It's not just for now. He wasn't just saying just for you. We got a special going on, guys. For two months, God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. And you're the lucky crowd. You know, it's not like this Christmas shopping spree thing or a Black Friday, or whatever they call those things, Black Friday. But it's not a Black Friday deal. God, you know, everybody who gets in, you're only limited amount of tickets, you know, you get the Holy Spirit. No, he's like, this is for you. It's for your kids. It's for those who are near. It's for those who are far off that haven't even come to know the Lord yet. For everybody who God calls. To his family, this gift is for them. That's for me. That's for you. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit's for everyone. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, so last week we talked about a couple of different things. This verse in Acts 2.38, where Peter says basically three things about our salvation initiation or something. You know, you need to repent, right? You need to submit your life to Jesus as Lord. That he's the only one who can forgive us of our sins because he paid for our sins. And to give up living your life as you're the owner, you're in charge, or you're God. You need need to come to a point in your life where you say, I'm done running the show. I turn. I change my mind. I'm surrendering the leadership, the ownership, my life to Jesus. Jesus is now in charge. That's what repentance is. And And if you haven't done that today, then you... The Bible says that you are condemned right now in your sin, but there is hope for you if you will make that choice and you will repent today and make Jesus the Lord of your life, all of your sins will be forgiven. Your past, your present, your future, you'll be made righteous in the eyes of God. This is an amazing grace. This is the amazing grace that we talk about all the time. But we need to repent. And then Peter said, be baptized. And we talked about three different baptisms last week. One is as soon as you Professed your faith in Christ. If you're a believer here today, as soon as you did that, you were baptized or immersed into the family of God. Nothing, no, there was no ceremony. You didn't get a certificate. You know, uh, it was just you're just part of the family, a part of the God's family. All across this world, you have brothers and sisters that speak all kinds of different languages, and we're all in this together now. Okay, and we have a family here. We are all in this together. We are a spiritual family. Okay, that happened automatically as soon as you believed in Jesus as Lord. Second baptism is the one that most of us are familiar with. That's water baptism. And if you haven't been water baptized, you can sign up. We have a sign-up sheet here at the uh, welcome desk. We also have a sign-up sheet online. We're going to do some baptisms in November and we're going to have a class and uh, we're going to celebrate with you your decision. If you've been sprinkled as a child or you're baptized as a baby, uh, I would encourage you to get baptized again, immersed, fully, uh, you know, fully uh, submerged under the water, because that's, just the, that's the model that we see in the scriptures. And I would encourage you to do that, just experience a complete surrender to God, not just a little bit. And I'm not criticizing that. I was, that's how I was baptized. But when I got older, I'm like, I want to just go all the way under. It's just a sign of total surrender to God. You know what I mean? It symbolizes that we are giving up our ego and our old life and our old sinful nature. And the Bible says you are being raised to a new life. In Christ your new identity now is in Christ and so we've been baptized into the identity of Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me you see it's no longer Tim Hobson in charge now Tim Hobson has died and and it's Christ in Tim Hobson the hope of glory and and that's my desire that's your desire that's where real life is so we've been baptized into a family we've been baptized into the identity of Christ How many of you like his identity better than your old identity? Okay, let's see. Winner, loser, uh, all A's flunked out, uh, healed, whole, strong, and sick and weak and feeble. Right? You you get my drift here? We, We are made righteous in Christ. We were sinful in our own. God rescued us, He redeemed us. Now we have victory, we have hope, we have peace. We have prosperity. We can have health and wholeness. And and we're a new creation in Christ. Everything that is in Christ is now in you. Awesome. It's okay to get excited. I know it was darker this morning, but, you know, the lights are on. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, And the last one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a separate um, dimension of our spiritual life in God from the moment of salvation. The moment of salvation is us repenting uh, and and coming into that awareness that Jesus is now Lord of my life. My sins are forgiven. uh, I have a new identity. But, But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we look at Scripture, it's a separate and distinct experience of a person being filled with the presence of God. How many of you believe... That all of Jesus' disciples who are in the upper room, who are waiting for this promise from God, were believers in Jesus as Lord. Of course. They were believers. They were saved. But they were not filled. And then they were filled. And things started rocking and rolling. Okay? How many of you believe Jesus was saved before he got baptized? i mean, okay, he's God. Yes, he's okay. No sin. He didn't need to be saved. He was saved. He was already life, right? And then he is baptized in water. As he's baptized in water, the Holy Spirit comes and fills him, and things started rocking and rolling in his life, okay? And the early church, they were believers, but then they were filled with power from on high that Jesus said, and now you will be my witnesses, and they were. They were changed In an instant, they had courage, conviction, clarity, anointing, and power flowing through them. It wasn't them. It was the God in them, the Holy Spirit in them. And your life is to be modeled after Jesus' life and the early believer's life, the same thing. It's one thing to be saved. It's another to be filled with the power from on high. For your life to have an anointing, for your life to have a conviction, for your life to have a, a purpose and a power that flows That's what we are going to do together. We're going to learn how to live a spirit-filled life. And we're going to have to practice it. Okay? When I take on a new runner on my cross-country team, which I did, halfway through the season, you know, I'm talking to this young man. I'm like, okay, listen, you're not going to do everything else everybody else is doing because it would break you. Right? I got some guys running 8, 10, 12 miles. I want you to try to run one mile, two miles. All right, we're going to practice. And after a couple of weeks, you're going to start feeling better. And after three weeks, you're going to be in shape. And then we can actually start pushing it a little bit. You see what I'm saying? And if you're new to this whole thing, it's okay. But we need to practice. We need to learn how to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The Bible says, right? So you in for it? You're up for it? Okay. So those are the baptisms. Now I want to talk about... Um, some specific points. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. He's referring to the Holy Spirit when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And later, a couple verses later, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is something that is something that we need to desire. Say, God, I want all that you have for me. We see the early believers um, for 10 days. They're in the upper room. They don't know exactly when this is going to happen. They know God's going to show up. The Holy Spirit's going to show up. They're going to be filled with power. They know this. But they're seeking. They're praying. And they're just hungry for God. And it seems to be the criteria in Scripture for a person to be filled is there's a hunger and a seeking and a desire for God. So you, you just need to get hungry if you're new to this idea. You need to say, do you really want all that God has for you? Do you want all, all of his presence and his power? Are you seeking him? Uh, then go get it. Because if you seek, Jesus said, if you seek the Holy Spirit, you will find. If you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he will give you the Holy Spirit. If you, you, know, if you knock on that door, God will open the floodgates of heaven upon you. And feel you because God wants to bless you with His presence. Okay? So you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, if you, if you in your home have a guest coming, what do you do? It's your home, you open the door and you say, come on in. And so you are a temple, but you need to open the door and let God come in and dwell inside. Okay? This is who we are meant to be. We can't do anything without his help and his strength. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So let's be good seekers, okay? Um, here's a couple things I wanted to share. And this is where I'm kind of rolling up my, glo- uh, my, my sleeves a little bit and getting into some, what I consider some bad doctrine, okay? First of all, there's this uh, this idea, in and it's just kind of sprinkled around in different denominations and, and different people's, uh, exposure to the Holy Spirit, and quite frankly, mostly out of fear or misunderstanding of what the Holy Spirit is all about, maybe over some weird things that they've seen or heard of. So then we start getting these ideas, and, and we start to say, you know what, that's not of God, and, uh, and so then we start to create different thoughts. And there's, a, there's a, a brand of thinking I want to just dismantle for you, okay? And it's called cessationism, and this was something I started last week and didn't get a chance to finish. But cessationism uh, has a couple varieties of, of thought, but for the most part, uh, this is what the, that belief would be. That the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the power of God that were seen in the New Testament church, particularly in the, through the apostles and, and the, the speaking of tongues, the, the healings, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the prophecy... Uh, those types of things, that all of that was just for a season to get the gospel established. And then once the New Testament was completed, then that season has now ceased. Those signs and wonders and so on was just to confirm the validity of the Scripture. But now once the Scripture has arrived, now we no longer have the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the power of God like that. So that's the thinking. Okay, and it is wrong thinking, and it's bad Bible. Bad Bible. And so here's one of those things. One of the the strands of this thought is that the Spirit and the power of the Spirit is just for New Testament times, not for today. Okay? But it is for today. Um, In Acts chapter 38 and 39, as I've already read this, in context of this thought, Paul, uh, Peter saying, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. All right? Anybody here been called by God? Anybody been saved by God? All right? That's you. The promise is for you. And so, um, so I, I want to just kind of move on with, Uh, And I talked about that a little bit last week, but the other thought is that the power and the signs and the wonders were just through the apostles, not believers. And so the argument would go like this, well, there's no longer any apostles, which also I would disagree with, but there's no longer any apostles, so there's no longer any gifts and miracles for the church today. Because all the apostles died or were martyred, and that season is over. And it was only through the apostles anyway. But that, that's just bad. That's just really bad Bible. Okay? In 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, Paul is writing, and he says this. And this is one of the verses that are misinterpreted. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true, a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. So the cessationists would look at this and say, you see that? The marks of a true apostle are signs and wonders and miracles. So so that means only signs and miracles and wonders were done by the apostles. That's what they would say. But that's not true. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In chapters 11, 10 and 11, Paul is talking for two chapters about what the signs of a true apostle are. And there were some false apostles, some false teachers that were infiltrating the church. And for two chapters, Paul talks about how they're promoting themselves how they're not really sacrificing and Paul goes through and it's almost embarrassingly showing the people how much he has suffered on their behalf how he has never gained anything from them he supported himself and how a true the mark of a true apostle is someone who is willing to lay their life down for the people and serve the purposes of God to no advantage to themselves and these false these false teachers and apostles were not doing that so that's not the true uh the marks of a true apostle it's as if paul is saying look i showed you that i'm willing to live my life for you and die for you and to to give everything to you and also god did signs and wonders and miracles through me too okay this is not a proof text that says only these things are are done through apostles otherwise if it is the truth then none of us could do that right that's the application and so, but it's not saying that. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 also says this. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Okay, so here's another proof text of a cessationist. And they say, okay, so those who heard Him are the apostles. That's what they would say. And I would agree with that. Sure, I can. that's no problem. And it goes on to say this, that... God also testified to it, or in other words, to the scriptures by the gospel. God also testified to the gospel by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his word. And so, the view of a cessationist with this scripture is saying that this is referring to the apostles, and that God used signs, miracles, and wonders through only the apostles to confirm the gospel message. But I'll tell you what, God certainly did use signs, miracles, and wonders to confirm the gospel through the apostles, but he also used the whole church. Okay, It's just bad Bible. To give you an example, the correct view is, what about Stephen and Philip and Ananias and the 120 believers in the upper room and Cornelius and Agabus, who was a prophet, and the prophets in Antioch? and the Ephesian disciples, and the church at Galatia, and the church at Corinth, and the church at Thessalonica. What do you do with all of those scripture verses where Paul is trying to teach them how to, do, you know, how to manage all of these miracles and signs and wonders that God is doing in the church services? Okay? So I just want to debunk and say flat out that the Holy Spirit is not just for the New Testament era. It's for today. And the Holy Spirit and the power of God is not just to, was to flow through the apostles for one generation, but it is for you right now, for every believer. Okay? Now, um, this is important because can you imagine God giving us of these gifts and then for some reason saying, that's enough? <laughs> it's like like retracting. His goodness and the gifts of you know, healing and miracles and words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy and tongues. Okay, let's talk about tongues. I'll talk about this later, but just a side note really quick. Tongues, you know what tongues really is? It is a hotline to heaven where it circumvents your stinking thinking. And you're able by the Spirit in you to pray directly to the Spirit. It's like the Batman call. It's like it, it's got its own wires or something, right? And the guy just picks up the red phone and Batman's on the other line. I mean, this is like straight to God, beyond your understanding. So you are praying by the Spirit to God's Spirit, His perfect will, which activates the will of God to be done in your life in that situation. It's just unbelievable. It's an unbelievable gift, right? Why would God take that from you? God wants His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, in your life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life to the full, or abundant life. Why would he give healings and, and these miracles and these wonderful gifts that encourage and build up the church and witness to the risen power of Christ in our world, and then just pull that right back? Say, God, just hang on, guys. Just hang on, because one day we'll have a real big party in heaven. But right now, you, you know, what else? Can you imagine if Christ, if we believe this, that Christ died on the cross he shed his blood for us and that blood according to the bible says by his stripes you are healed then why did he do that if that healing isn't for now why would he have done that and if, why would he have done that just for one generation to enjoy healing that's crazy doesn't make any sense at all it, either he did that for you or he didn't or it was it was just pointless Why would God have a bank account of healing for you that you can't access until you're dead? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Jesus said, why would he say this? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What did he do? Cast out demons, multiplied fish and bread, walked on water, changed water into wine, opened blind eyes, healed the lepers, restored hearing hearing to the death, made the lame walk again, healed every disease that he bumped into, and he ruined every funeral. He ruined every funeral that, that bumped into him. There was literally a fu- funeral procession that came, and it, it basically intersected Jesus, and the body was raised to life. He, he ruined every funeral he ever bumped into. Lazarus, comes to Lazarus, everybody's crying and mourning, And he ruined that one, too. He is the resurrection and the life. Right? So Jesus said, you will do the same things that I've been doing. And we cannot do that because we're really cool people or because we have weightlifting now in our generation. And we're all, you know, I mean, there's no power in us to do any of that stuff. No power. It's like Jehoshaphat. God, we have no power. We have nothing that we can do. So our eyes are to you. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. And when you have that posture in life, you you are in a good place. Because when your eyes are off of yourself and off of your abilities and your strength and your power and your charisma and your intellect or whatever you want to call it, and your eyes are on ego, you know, you're in big trouble. But when you realize the truth that you have nothing, you can do nothing apart from him. That's what Jesus said. And your eyes are upon him. Man, you're in a good place. Because now God can be God in your situation and in your life. As long as you release your life to Him and He's in charge, you are in good hands, right? So, all right, I'm kind of ranting and raving a little bit. But um, I want to just give you a couple thoughts to ponder. The church was birthed through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This whole thing that we call church... It all started on the day of Pentecost when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon the believers. This is what started the church, and God would not start the church with a foundation of pouring His presence upon us for later to retract that from us and say, now good luck. How how in the world could anything stand after you build it and someone pulls the foundation out from underneath of it? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever that God would pour out His Spirit, start this whole thing called the church with His anointing, with His presence, with His power, with all of this anointing and all this power going on, and then later just say, we're done with that. Now you guys just need to have blind faith and just you know, hope that you know, the scriptures are enough for you, but you're not going to see any of this stuff anymore. That, that's, just, that's just crazy talk. All right. Now, I know I'm saying some strong things, but uh, it's going to be a little stronger in a few minutes. I, I believe this. Listen here. Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Not to apostles, not to pastors, not to elders, not to those who are really good at their Christian walk or have been around for a long time. Not to those just in the New Testament era. Paul is teaching the church at Corinth. People like you and me screwed up. Trying to make make it in life. And Paul is saying the Spirit is given to each one, and it has a purpose. It says here, for the profit of all. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit is twofold, really. Uh, We are given, and I'll teach on this later, but we are given something called the fruits of the Spirit. Isn't this awesome? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have joy, love, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, patience, faithfulness. You have Have these because they are fruits of the Holy Spirit in you. You can access love. You can access self-control. It's not something that you're supposed to learn. It's not something you're supposed to get better at. It's not something your flesh can do. These are called fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit in you. You're fruitful in every one of those areas. You just need to learn how to access it all the time. Woo! Yeah! That's good news. Because if you've been trying to learn how to be patient for the last 30 years, you got it. You just need to learn how to access. Okay, so fruits of the Spirit. Now, this, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Number one, transformation in your life. The power to be transformed. Right, The Holy Spirit comes and he transforms our lives. But number two, transformation through your life. Jesus said that you will be my witnesses. They will see you shining as a light and they'll bring glory to my Father. These gifts that, that are given, the Bible says they are given to each one of us for the benefit of everyone else so the 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 spirit in us blesses somebody else with a word of wisdom or like Judy came this morning that was a word of that was like a word of exhortation for us from the spirit of god isn't that awesome that the spirit of god puts upon somebody very strong impression of a word of a uh, this is something that I want to, to say through you today and they respond and we're blessed and it's confirmed cuz she was going to talk about the same thing victory and so isn't that awesome and so the gifts are to be a blessing to everybody else to transform not just your life but through your life a transformation that you the spirit in you can touch people like jesus touched people saved them healed them met their needs encouraged them built them up gave them a word from god how about that? Walking through the grocery store, seeing someone, and God telling you that a word for them, and you go over to them and say, God just told me to tell you that He's for you and He loves you, and it's going to be all right. Whoa, I just came to get some cereal. You know? Now this person got blessed with a word from God. Wow! Changes their whole day, could change their whole trajectory of a multiple of sequences of decisions. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so this is uh, for every single one of us. Why would God cease to give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why, what is the point of Jesus being beaten and whipped if not for us to be healed now? What is the point of Jesus being rejected, abandoned, betrayed, if not for us to be accepted and made whole from our emotional hurts now? This church believes that there's healing and wholeness now for you and for me. That we can learn how to access the promises of God. And so um, this, is where, this is where we're going. Without a doubt, there's going to be a whole lot of people okay, in heaven. And there's going to be, a, I think, a pretty big chunk of people that get to heaven that didn't live as an abundant life as they could have Because I believe this. I want to read what I I, I wrote because I don't want to mess it up. To the degree that there is truth unknown or unapplied in our lives is the degree to which we remain unhealed or unrestored or in bondage. Because truth is what sets us free. And the irony of this whole message here is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And when the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is denied or rejected, We're rejecting the truth, the agent of truth that God has given us to actually set us free. Okay, so I want to pivot here and, uh, and talk about this. What if, what would you do if you were the devil? And the Holy Spirit, God poured out his Holy Spirit. God's not playing fair. He's stacking the deck for people to win. You're already ticked off. You're mad. You're the enemy of God. And now God does this thing. First of all, you thought you won when you crucified Jesus on the cross, right? And then God raises him from the dead. And then all of a sudden, your your mind is blown because you don't have any discernment. It's the devil. You don't have the discernment of the will of God. And all of a sudden, it unfolds to you, and you're like, crap. You know, he just paid for all the sins of the world. Didn't see that coming. Okay, so now people can be saved. But now, God poured out his spirit? These people are running around like little Jesuses everywhere, healing people, speaking li- words of life, miracles, wonders, signs happening. What if you were the devil, and you're the enemy of God, and you can't touch God, so you go after his prized possession people? What are you going to do? Well, you're the father of lies. You're a professional deceiver. That's your method of operation. That's how the whole thing started in the first place. The devil never laid a hand on Adam or Eve never physically touched them, just spoke words that were twisted and deceiving. And those words, you know, were received to the point where sin happened, where then death occurs. Do you see? That's all the enemy can do to you. And so what is he going to do? He's going to try to deceive people about this issue of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't you? If, if you can get people who are redeemed not to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then maybe you could stop this outbreak of revival and healing and joy and enthusiasm and life, lives that are being transformed. And so in the church, I see uh, he has been doing this for a long time, trying to stop the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the witnessing power of the church, right? You will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses. And what that means is lives will be saved. People will see me. They will see the the works that you do through me and they will be saved. They will repent. They too will be baptized. Baptized. They too will be filled. They too will be now sent with this power to continue to be the witnesses to the world that their sin is paid for, that God loves them, that the devil has lost, and break down all those barriers that we have and all the bad thinking, and we go forth. So the devil wants to stop this. And so I, here's my strong statement. The doctrines and teachings and philosophies that have been and are being spread against the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in and through believers, that this is not for today, that this is not for us as every believer, that these gifts have ceased. These teachings, in my opinion, are what the scriptures would call doctrines of demons. This is demonic. To deny the power of God, to deny the gifts of God, to deny the very agent of God, that has come to fill us with purpose, that birthed the whole thing in the beginning, is a doctrine of demons. It's deceptive. And you know that you can be a Christian, and you can be saved, and you can be deceived in an area of your life. Do you understand that? So um, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about deception. First Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If a demon came up to you and started giving, and you know it was a demon because they're ugly, uh, whatever. And they're talking to you, personified demon. And they came up to you to give you parental advice. Would you listen? No. No. I mean you know it's a demon and they're trying to give you this. Have your kid watch this and do this and go over there and drink that and smoke this and don't give them love and let them do this and do that. No, yeah, that's how you raise your kids, you know. You're not gonna listen to that crap, right? If a demon comes up to you and tells you something about the Holy Spirit, you know, oh that's not for today. Now I'm not talking I'm not telling anybody's a demon or something. I'm not saying, but you know, you hear these voices. It's a doctrine of demons. A deceiving spirit that would take the truth and the very essence and power of God and the power that transforms lives and tries to tell people, that's over. That's not for you. That's for them. That's not for today. Jesus didn't really do that. You know, don't worry about that stuff. So, I want to... Just say that we are not going to be a church that denies the power of God. Second Timothy 3 uh, says this, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Anybody see any of this stuff? Slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. You see any of that? Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away having a form of godliness but denying its power and so this is religion let's look like you know let's look like we're good people and trying to do the right things but not really have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. Do not be two-thirds of a Christian. You know what I mean? Okay, you're going to be to heaven, but you're not going to have a powerful life here if you deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you, if you're new to this especially, because it's hard to cram all this in on a Sunday morning, but we're going to do this for a while. I'm going to talk some more, but and I'll try to cover more and more. I'm going to try to teach us about this. But I need you, if you're new to this, I need you to go into the Bible, go into the Scriptures, and just get hungry. Would you just start reading what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit? Would you read the book of Acts? Read the book of Acts and just ask God, God, is this is really true because this is weird for me or this is different for me? Or I was taught something totally different than this. Would you read the book of Acts, read what Jesus says? was teaching, especially the book of John. Read Acts and John and just start asking the Holy Spirit. Ask God, teach me. Show me. Is this real? Is this true? Because if you're hungry and you're thirsty for God, God will fill you. He will show you. He will teach you. But I need you to kind of go after some of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because we need all the truth we can get and we need all the power we can get. And it is found in him. God has released this into our lives, and we are going to be embracing the move of His Spirit. I do not want to have a form of godliness without any power that doesn't change lives, doesn't help us. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And a spirit filled life is not an event, it is a lifestyle. You may have said, oh, I got baptized, like for me, first time I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was little. I was at a camp, a summer camp, and, uh, you know, that was probably when I was like maybe 10 years old or something. I don't remember uh, my age, but let's say I was 10 years old, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and okay, I did that. I'm a spirit-filled, I'm I'm living a spirit-filled life. Well, that's only if I'm spirit-filled today. It's only if I woke up this morning and said, oh, God, I got nothing. Let Jehoshaphat. I got nothing. And I'm supposed to get up there and talk to people about you. I got nothing. No power. I have no power within myself. I have nothing. But my eyes are on you, oh God. And I need you. And Spirit of God, fill me. I want you. I want you to live in me. I want you to fill me. It's only in you and through you, O God, that anything of value or fruitfulness will ever come out of this this body. You hear what I'm saying? So a Spirit-filled life isn't an event. It's a lifestyle. It's today. It's today. It's right now. Being filled. Being dependent. Trusting in Him. And so that's what, that's what I, I desire for each and every one of us. Is learning how to live a Spirit-filled life. That God would continue to help us see what He sees. Sees the needs around us. See the people around us. And that, that we tap into Him in us to meet those needs. Not us, not here, not what we think should be done, but that we actually tap into Him and we release that ministry to people around us. Amen? That's where we're going. I hope I haven't offended too many people too badly, but it is what it is. It is what it is. This is where we're going. That's where we're going. This is where this church is going. This church is going after God. We're going after everything that God has. We love Him. We love people. And we value and honor His Word. And we're going to do everything we can to try to line our lives up with the Word of God and the Spirit. And those two always agree. They always agree. The Spirit and the Word. Okay? If that's where you want to go, then come on, let's go together. Let's go together. And God's going to fill these seats when we begin to learn how to live this this Spirit-filled life. We're going to start reaching people for His kingdom and His glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together. I want to pray this morning as we come forward. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 18, to not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled. Not be filled with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, I've talked about this before, and we know that this word here in the Greek is a continuous, perpetual word. It means to be ye being filled. It means keep being filled. And this morning, before we go, I would like to pray for anybody this morning. I've got some elders that are going to be praying too. We have some oil. that We want to anoint you with oil. It represents the Holy Spirit. He's going to anoint you on the forehead. Uh, if, if I pray for you, I'll say, a, I'll say, you know, I anoint you now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Okay, just to fill you. And whatever else God puts on my mind or uh, on my heart and the other elders to pray for you will pray over you and fill you in the Holy Spirit, okay? The Bible says that you need to seek, you need to ask, you need to want. If you want to be refilled, right, uh, every day, this is a prayer of mine, to be filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, sometimes it's about 20 times a day because there's other stuff that tries to fill me. Worry, stress, just the to-do list, and I want to keep rebooting myself, keep rebooting myself, keep rebooting myself. Oh God, oh Holy Spirit, just fill me right now, let me, let me be filled with you, okay? So we're going to take a few minutes to pray for each other, these guys are going to lead us in worship, if you want to just be prayed over and filled with the Holy Spirit, come on up right now, elders, if you guys would come up, there's some oil uh, containers in these baskets, if you guys would come on up too, and let's just pray for one another, and encourage each other this morning, okay? Awesome.